Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. So. <laughs> ah, there goes there goes the bants. There goes the bounce, but I am recording now. We are recording. That's, that's good. That's re- recording. Ideally, your podcast should be recording um, before you say a bunch of interesting and funny things that get lost to the ether. <laughs> we have learned our lesson today. Well, I have learned. I have learned my lesson. I think, um, I think it's one of those lessons that we're going to keep relearning. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I will never record my improv bits. They will, they will always be lost like tears <laughs> in rain. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, I was, I was reading a, uh, you know, like a uh, rise and grind culture book on how to podcast, and they suggested uh, hooking ourselves into these elaborate torture mechanisms. And if we don't record the cold open banter, the uh, the reverse bear trap pops open. Uh, I I read the same book. I read the same book. Um, we also need a mascot for the show, like something, something cute, but also something kind of creepy. Um, and if we can, we should, we should, of course, relocate, relocate our recording space to somewhere like an abandoned mannequin factory. I mean, that's that's probably the ideal abandoned factory to record the show, and I bet you the acoustics in there would be phenomenal. <laughs> if, if you if you can't hear all of the like Rube Goldberg death traps going off, you you definitely can't hear echoes. So, yeah, I mean, really, that's where all the top quality podcasters do their work, isn't it? In 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 former industrial units that they've somehow <laughs> managed to buy with their Patreon money, um, and which they access by wading through raw sewage. Um, so so new new Patreon tier that I'm that I'm definitely going to make a real thing and that's the uh we need to buy an abandoned mannequin factory so we can wade through raw sewage before recording episodes tier. Yeah. I have no idea how much an abandoned factory would would cost. Uh at least $10, so that's probably going to be the tier. Uh yeah, I think that seems that's a good estimate. That's absolutely it seems absolutely fine. Um, should we explain what we're doing here? Well, uh, dear listeners, if you uh, have have had your clever caps on today, you might g- have guessed or you've read the episode title before hitting the play button on your podcasting app of choice. And you know that today we're talking about the first installment of James Wan's Saw franchise. That is Saw 2004. Uh, I know a lot of people really enjoyed the fact that we did an entire resident evil series retrospective and so in the run-up uh to to uh the the best and spookiest time of the year we have decided to go even bigger and wade through the morass of discourse and rube goldberg machines made by a engineer supervillain and we're going to talk about every single Jigsaw movie. It's such a missed opportunity that the villain wasn't actually a three-foot-tall puppet on a tricycle. I, I mean, I, I agree with you, but as we saw with... <laughs> with 
as we saw with the film Chucky, um, there are limitations involved for, for, for our antagonist, if that's what they are. Uh, yes, yes. We've also, uh, Annabelle, I, I believe the lesson of, of spoopy dolls is uh, that they have a very limited range of spoopiness. Uh, indeed. Um, okay, so let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk about... <laughs> Let's talk about Saw uh, and where it all started to go wrong. Um, <laughs> so this, this as, as we said, is the uh, feature debut uh, of James Wan, written by his friend and collaborator Lee Wanell. Lee also stars in the film. Two guys in Australia who went to film school, started shopping around a screenplay, came to LA and made this for about a million dollars. It uh, went on to uh, make, frankly, ludicrous amounts of money and spawn, at the, t- at the time, what was the most profitable horror franchise since Scream. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as, as we go through this, we're going to get caught up in some really interesting kind of conversations, particularly around like horror in the uh, 2000s, the label of torture porn, yeah. gore, on, gore on screen. But before we get, all to, get on to all of that, Let's talk about the very first one. Yes, let's. Um, I guess technically we we should fully do our homework here and mention that this isn't really the first Saw movie. Ah, it's, very it's, good point. It's the first feature-length Saw movie. There was uh, what has uh, come to be known as Saw Point Five. Um, it was a, I think it's only about nine minutes long. It was a short test film that Juan put together as, uh, which is very common in filmmaking. A lot of um, beginner filmmakers, indie filmmakers, people who don't have their name established yet, you'll film either part of your movie or like a conceptual teaser for what your movie's going to be and then ship that around to get funding. Um, uh, Evil Dead. Evil Dead started out as a, uh, I think it's 20 minutes long, like a 20-minute screen test of a lot of the concepts in Evil Dead. Um, So this, this is pretty common, but that first one, it was just a guy being interviewed by the cops and recounting a, a saw adjacent torture experience. that doesn't really add a whole lot. You know, it's not like, it's like the, um, uh, what was the, in the woods? Was it in the woods? It's not into the woods. That's the play. <laughs> in, into the woods. Uh, the, the farcical play about, uh, uh, naughty fairy tale creatures was the pilot for evil dead. And that one is, it's almost its own self-contained short film. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, very common. They, they landed it with, um, Mark Hoffman, who is a kind of big name producer, uh, worked with, and Hoffman and a few other people formed Twisted Pictures as a horror production house. Um, and Saw was basically what made them and made them phenomenally successful. Um, so wh- why don't we kind of like very quickly explain what this film is about? Do you want to explain a film? I tried. Well, I ha- I have another question, which mm-hmm. is: Have you have you ever heard of this guy David Fincher? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, no. Has 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 uh, Mr. Fincher made any films remotely similar to the concept of the first Saw film? Um, Question mark. No, except no, no, no. Apart from a, a small uh, little scene, Brad Pitt film called called, called Seven. 
Oh um, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. I think I think I saw that YouTube video. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he put he's got a YouTube channel. Uh, he did one with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. It's called Seven. It's um, <laughs> it's about a serial serial killer who punishes people for perceived moral infractions. Um, and basically, the first saw is what if that, but told from the point of view of the victims rather than the police officers looking for the killer. Which is an interesting conceit. I mean, like that—that that is something that we don't see nearly as often, right? That that perspective, especially in this kind of like, it's very procedural. It plays like a mystery. You feel those influences very strongly in Saw, and it's nice to see that played from, or at least this close to the victim's perspective. And and I think we should acknowledge that a lot of this film is clearly made by uh, people who have literally no money to work with. (laughs) So it's just a kind of convenient point of view that 90% of this film needs two actors and a single location for you to film in. Isn't that convenient? (laughs) I mean, that is is pretty ideal if you have like literally no anything to work with. The The first Saw movie would make a wonderful stage play. It's mostly just two guys in a room talking. A third guy shows up and a fourth guy shows up. And then that one guy has always been there to begin with, but he's been hiding. Uh, you make it sound like it's... Um, what if What if the, the author of No Exit and Nausea tried to make a horror movie? And it, it kind of is. It's two people trapped in a room who can't leave. And hell, <laughs> as, as Jean-Paul Sartre told us, uh, hell truly is other people it's it's waiting for godot but a, a three foot tall puppet monster on a tricycle rides up and things get really different <laughs> i i don't know about you but my idea of hell is being trapped in a room with carrie elwes and not being able to leave <laughs> i i would cut off my own foot to get out of that situation <laughs> Oh, I think that that works too because of our perceived moral failings as as per- cr- critics of performance on stage. Uh, yes, I, I, okay. We should probably talk about this. This is, this is maybe the kind of big, the big hook of the Saw franchise it, that it establishes in this first one is, uh, we have our slash killer Jigsaw, uh, who we later find out is is played by the man Tobin Bell. Um, and Jigsaw's modus operandi is a kind of a moral Rube Goldberg constructionism where you find people who are not, quote unquote, appreciating their life uh, in, the, in the right way. And you design a, a painfully ironic test for them. <laughs> um, like a like a mustache twirling villain from the nineteenth century. Um, what what do you think of this as a kind of hook, as a kind of premise for a slasher killer? I, I mean, like I think that this is one of the most classic kind of slasher modalities, right? The 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 slasher as the adjudicator of some kind of perceived moral lesson, right? Like we we have what I think is the eternal interpretation of like your Michael Myers and your Voorheeses. Mm-hmm. That they are they're the societally corrective force, right? The, the, the teens have finally gone too far. 
and and their wanton ways and their lack of respect and now these kind of embodiments of the like ultimate form of paternal authoritarianism is here to uh coerce them back into obedience so it's 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 kind of what the modality does i mean like i i do agree jigsaw fits this like the slasher killer profile in in so many respects all although there's a lot less slashing and a lot more like i i just this some of these things are just silly to be honest we'll, we'll get in not in this movie but in like the later saws so some of like the uh, uh horrifying like uh escape rooms that these people get put into it's just like okay come on you're trying this is a little try hard right you know we, we can yeah, calm yeah, down yeah. a bit here um we get yeah, it. You've I... got a lot of free time, Mr. Jigsaw. <laughs> Some of us have to work for a living, please. We don't need the elaborate death traps. Uh, yeah, for for a, for a guy with a with uh, apparently an inoperable brain tumor, he's got nothing else to do all day but order large amounts of poison and nerve agent. <laughs> which, which, I, obviously, your drop shipping company just goes like classic non-suspicious behavior, ordering like tranquilizers to this abandoned industrial district <laughs> yeah to- normal just normal regular stuff um i'm, I'm just so, imagining him like you know like like going to the hardware store with like two shopping carts full of like like i don't know bug spray and he's like oh i've just i've got so many roaches you wouldn't even believe <laughs> yeah you wouldn't believe it like nobody goes hey hey john what are you doing with all those angle grinders <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot uh, of angles to grind, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, a big remodel at the old homestead. <laughs> or he's, or he's just like, oh, I'm actually, I'm, I'm an unboxing YouTuber, and I, you know, like <laughs> a little known fact. Uh, I, there are so many takes, I have to unbox like ten angle grinders to get the shot right. So. Um, ooh, ooh, okay, that is okay. After Saw Spiral, we have to have Saw downvote. Yeah, saw the unboxing. Um, Saw viral? Is that too on the nose? (laughs) James Wan, call us. Yeah, James, Lee, get in touch. Um, I I agree with you that in in a way he's very much in the tradition of kind of classic, the classic kind of moral policing figure. But there are a couple of things which sort of bug me, which is that the, the kind of moral angle here is a lot more confused. Yeah. Like in 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 uh, Friday Thirteenth, like the 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 moral problem is pretty obvious, right? In the slash killer genre as a whole, it tends to be pretty obvious. But here, the big problem is people who don't quote unquote appreciate being alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I'm sort of like one, that's an incredibly subjective standard, uh, and and two, um, it, it, some of this comes off as really weird. Like for example, like like let's talk about Amanda, right? So yes, Amanda is 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 the one who survives the first trap, the rev- the uh, what would become the iconic reverse bear trap, played by Shawnee Smith, who does an amazing job. But the whole point of Amanda's, in big inverted commas, test, is that she deserves to be in this situation because she has a substance abuse problem, and I'm like. <laughs> Really? This is this is the big moral this is the big moral crusade that we're taking on. Um I don't know there there are bits of this which kind of make me quite uncomfortable. What do you think? 
Yeah, I, I, I have a few thoughts about this. And I think my, my first is that I think that this still fits into kind of the large overarching paradigm that is kind of slasher morality, right? Because like, mm. what, what are these teens doing that's so bad? They're staying up late. They're, they're kissing sometimes. Uh-oh. You know, <laughs> like they're, they're doing very normal teenage activities. Um, they're, they're not like sacrificing children to the goat lord you know to bring about the the time of darkness you know they're not like dude they're, they're not like oil execs right they're not like legitimately forces of darkness in the world and and so like we, we have a little bit of the same kind of moral conundrum that we're put up against but i think like uh, especially as a saw film goes on to evolve right like jigsaw becomes a hero or at least an anti-hero or kind of, you know, avenging angel, vigilante kind of figure in some of these movies, depending on who he picks up and why. And it, and it really muddles the whole morality thing. Like, Seven is the obvious comparison, but in Seven, like, mm. the guy's a really bad guy. <laughs> like, yeah. like the, the, the killer in Seven, like, there's not... The movie doesn't give you a lot of, like, moral leeway into joining the killer's side in the way that the saw franchise ultimately does which i think uh this changes in later movies but i think it's just kind of like it's almost it's almost underdone in, in a way you know like michael myers yeah, is just not, evil in that it's first not very well thought yeah. through and i'm sort of like not appreciating their life isn't that something that everybody goes through yeah at some point? Right? Don't we all have days where we just kind of drift through things and it's like, ah, well, now it's time for you to, you know, have to give yourself a full frontal lobotomy or something because you didn't appreciate, you know, the the great feeling of being alive in a capitalist hellscape. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's waking up with my hand in a jar of acid because I, I didn't take enough uh, uh, bubble baths this week and, and I'm not doing hashtag self-care <laughs> properly. That's that's the implied logic here. It's like, yes. oh, if only you'd been you'd been more grateful. And it comes off as a little bit kind of moralizing. Um mm -hmm. and not not in a sort of useful way. It doesn't come from any kind of um uh, I think what makes it ambiguous and that amb ambiguity is, you know, productive is that like John Kramer's uh kind of point is not operating out of a perceived injustice in the world that he can correct but a kind of perceived bitterness of the self towards others like jigsaw is uh, kramer is is irritated that other people don't feel the same way as him mm -hmm. right that's that's the whole that's the whole problem um which uh, yeah i'm kind of with you it feels very sort of underdeveloped and not really that well thought through and that becomes even more clear as these as the films go on Yes, yeah, there, there, there is like the, you know, fourth quarter attempt to like change who John Kramer is as, as a, a character in this universe, which we will get into, no doubt about that. I, I do, I do, I completely agree though, like the, the moralizing here is, there, there, there's a dialectic going on inside of a, a lot of slasher morality, right? You have like, uh, oh, those those wacky kids are up to new things, and mom and pop aren't quite sure about what they're doing these days. Have you heard Justin Bieber's lyrics? 
And then in, in, in like, you know, like the, the slasher is the counterpoint, right? So you have, you have this conversation that's happening dialectically inside of the film. And like with Saw, that's almost kind of absent because I think you're totally right. Like, you know, the not appreciating your life is just like, it's so open-ended and so vague as, as to be not useful outside of like we were talking about this before recording but like it's always kind of reminded me of like british world war ii sloganeering right like you know keep calm and saw your ankle off you know grin and grin and bear it that 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 kind of it's 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 not it's moralizing to the point of like an austerity politic right because it's like some of these people that the you know, get saw trapped at some point in this franchise. Just have like, like Amanda's the best example. Amanda, Amanda just needs medical care. You know, like yeah. um, uh, Amanda's uh, like the saw, the saw trap she should be in is Medicare for all. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Right. These are, these are like, uh, this is a kind of big thing of like people who are, um, imprisoned within systemic issues become yeah. being blamed for things which are produced by them. So in this film, for example, one of the one of the um basic traps is um uh our, our uh guy Paul, middle aged guy Paul, who is someone who uh seemingly has a serious mental health crisis and uh there's a suicide attempt and so Jigsaw puts him inside this uh, maze of razor wire. Mm-hmm. And that's the, to be honest, that's the one which made me very uncomfortable in how it kind of thinks about mental health. Um, it's like, oh well, that you didn't appreciate the fact that you were alive, so now, ergo, this is what you personally deserve, rather than mm-hmm. maybe maybe there should be a world where nobody feels driven to do these terrible things. Yeah. Ab- absolutely, like so, so many of the people that wind up in saw saw traps it's just systemic problems that they're that they're facing oh that is spooky sorry right as i was talking there a few of my kitchen cabinets just opened on their own uh, oh that's the that is the the spirit of neoliberalism which has, <laughs> which has been which has been summoned the austere moralizing spirit of the market has 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 come to find us I, I'm not appreciating life because I'm not closing my cabinets securely enough. Uh, yeah, so I I think you're completely right. This whole like you you're not grateful enough. Uh, I, I, the theologian Adam Kotzko has a series of books talking about neoliberalism as a mechanism for the pro- producing blame. So it's it's ideologically it it neoliberal systems are about blaming you when you fail because of a systemic problem. Mm-hmm. And that that's what this is. This is this is this is the this is the slasher killer for the era of neoliberalism. One 100%. And this this also fits in with like Mark, Mark Fisher's discourse around responsabilization, right? You know like these people need to be responsible for their lives entirely. And for some of them that makes sense, right? Like if you're if you're a doctor sleeping with one of your medical students, you probably shouldn't be doing that, you know. And sure, there are systemic implications that tie in with that. But on on the complete other side of the spectrum, we have just people who are ill. 
you know, people, yeah. people who just are not getting the medical care that they need access to because we live in a society that is, that is opted to profit off of illness rather than fight it. Oh, which is absolutely something that we'll, we will devote an entire episode to in due course. Yes. When, when, when we get to my favorite Saw movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's so much like there's this kind of bootstrap mentality, right? You know, if you tried harder, if you just if you just were a bit if you were just a bit more grateful, right? You It's yeah, it's it's got, it's got that guilting parent morality to it. If you, if you were if you were a little bit more grateful about all this suffering, you wouldn't be so bothered by it. Like like he's uh, John Kramer's up at night like Con- constructing uh, a, a, a mechanism that will fire drill bits into your eyes and he's like these damn kids they just don't appreciate how hard i work <laughs> oh my god uh yeah yeah that, and this this all i think this all ties in together into like the lack of clarity in that first saw movie um to, to wrap things up do you want to talk about our our the, the the what will become a sore trademark which is the the twist and then the twist right at the end do you want to talk about how this 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 film ends yeah 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 okay so go go for it. what are your what are your thoughts about the kind of oh the ending the ending of this uh, film uh well there's two things uh, one uh cariel was um his performance does start to lose me in the I'm chopping off my own foot scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I do kind of have a theory about that, which is that he's, he's the whole point of Lawrence Gordon is that he's always performing a, an appearance. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's a hypocrite, but he's even performing in that moment of like performing a certain kind of appropriate response. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I honestly think um I, I didn't I didn't see this I didn't see this one in the theaters but I I can honestly say that like the final reveal where Tobin Bell gets up off the floor and tears off the makeup and says get game over it's like I, I've got to give it to them it's it's a super effective ending like people would have gone nuts for that if they saw it on the on the big screen I I do I do like that final twist because like legitimately you just don't see it coming and uh, I do think there's a credit credit to uh, James and Lee for basically hiring hi- hiring respected character actor who was in the West Wing, Tobin Bell, to do nothing but lie on a filthy floor for for like two weeks straight and then have <laughs> one line. That was that was it. <laughs> I mean, when you're working with a budget, you really have to like make it make it work. Um, any, any final thoughts on, on Saw? Yeah, I think it's worth just briefly touching on something we've talked about in other episodes with related titles, but this is three years after 9-11. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is the, the kind of, this is the flagship that starts torture porn as, as a discursive tool for how we speak about horror. Um, of course, J- James Wan has pushed back against that. He was making like a a mystery thriller, not at all like the movie Seven. Um, yeah, yeah, just a coincidence. It's don't look at it. Don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just please forget about Seven while I'm making my Saw film. But I think I think that that 
it comes comes into the conversation here too, right? Because we do have like larger cultural issues about what's going on. And it, it applies more to the later Saw movies because there really isn't a lot of the kind of like torture that Saw would become synonymous for in later movies, right? This first one, it's 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 weird I'm going to say this about a Saw movie, but it's very subdued compared to the rest of the titles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's there is very little there is very little like explicit on screen violence. There's a lot that's suggested. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think what's interesting and maybe what connects to what you're talking about here is it has a very particular aesthetic, right? It's this is this is this is a very post nine eleven America. It gets portrayed as being grimy and run down. Like all of the colors are washed out. The room they're in is mm-hmm. like caked in filth. Uh, even when um, they do flashbacks, nothing. There's no saturated colors. There's no high contrast shots. There's everything is this morass of like n- faded newspaper clippings, grainy CCTV, rain, brown, dark blood. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's like ontologically depressing. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's absolutely absolutely correct and i think it points to it points to some interesting things that are going on kind of culturally at this point mm-hmm. and, and especially as the saw franchise continues you know like like just thinking about the news coverage post 9-11 and as the iraq war develops the 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 way that the violence is so sanitized but you still can't escape the kind of existential damage you know, like mm. e- even though the news is like, oh, some casualties happened uh, uh, tonight, and here's some like uh, bizarre and uninterpretable footage that's just like uh, a night vision shot of some explosions or something with a bunch of numbers on the screen. You know, like not not actual footage of violence, but there's almost like this this inverse effect that happens. But the more that that's subdued, the more it just kind of sublimates throughout society. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I think there is something kind of like uh, interesting about this use because it suggests a kind of exhaustion, mm-hmm. right? Like, so really, you know, maybe, maybe this is a way to read it, read the film a bit more charity. We've had some laughs here today, folks, but <laughs> maybe, maybe a way of kind of reading this a bit more charitably is like this is a kind of exhausted sense of America, like stripped of any uh anything other than a kind of very brutal neoliberal bootstrapping logic right that like all of these industrial industrial units are like decaying and connected by sewer lines you have to you have to run through raw sewage in order to like catch the the supervillain in their lair you know there's something sort of like the American empire is just kind of crumbling. So we're, there's nothing left to do but torture the ones who don't appreciate where they are. And I think it contrasts really nicely with the kind of big horror franchises of previous eras. You know, uh, Scream, even at night, even the night shots in Scream, it's got that 90s kind of flat vibrancy to it. And then you've got like, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, which is just kind of like this like 1980s fantastic excess, just moving in every mm. direction as fast as it can. 
Uh, the same, the same with the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. As as that one continues to evolve and gets weirder, like there's a lot of like celebratory fun to be had in these other ones. And then Saw is just like, and, and even I think what we're saying here extends to kind of just what happens in the movie, right? Like we 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 never see these like the energy that would ne- necessarily have to go into a lot of what we're seeing. We see a few people get kidnapped, but we don't see the like months or years of backbreaking physical labor it would take to retrofit an abandoned warehouse with all of these booby traps and mazes and and labyrinthian forms of torture right like all all of the trials like like how many reverse bear traps did you have to make before you made the one that worked right yeah what happened to all of these watermelons john (laughs) don't ask (laughs) My, my three shopping carts of watermelons and bear traps are raising a lot of alarms at the grocery store. <laughs> but no, no, there, there's 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 an energy that's I think necessarily taken out when we don't see any of that stuff, right? And even our actors, like it's two guys in a room sitting and talking. You know, there's an exhaustion just in in what they're doing. You know, it's it's a horrific situation. They're they're, they're exhausted physically, but there's also like. There's just not a lot of running around. There's not a lot of changing of locations. Like unlike Seven, which had a lot of that excited, frantic energy, Saw is just so subdued. Um, yeah, and I think, I think that 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 kind of sense of exhausted decay is really interesting when you contrast it with how the Saw fans got really, really into the traps. Mm-hmm. And uh, James and Lee have talked about this, that like in subsequent films, there was always a kind of struggle between what they called character time and trap time. Mm-hmm. So like where you just have people in a room talking to each other uh, or people in the traps. And it's it's clear that what they're interested in in this first one is you have two people in a room who can't leave, but you have to have reasons to keep them in there, which is where the tra- how the trap functions. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that you know it's it's kind of telling that like if, if we read it that way, this is a film about the decaying collapse of the American Empire that exposes us in the most brutal, visceral way to the logic of neoliberalism and and we all went, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I, I think like whether or not this winds up undermining a little bit what Saw is trying to accomplish, but like, especially in later Saw entries, um, this this first one really just had the reverse bear trap head mask mm. thing. Um, yeah. But but that, that takes on a character of its own, right? It becomes, much like an old gothic haunted house, the haunted house becomes its own character. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the reverse bear trap mask becomes its own character, right? That becomes a, a character in the Saw franchise that winds up getting more screen time than some of the characters in the Saw franchises. Mm. And like this, the same thing happens with other traps later on. The the the, the trap of Saw takes on these mythic uh, anthropomorphized proportions, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really it's a really good way to to think about it. And weirdly, that's made me a lot more sympathetic towards James and Lee. Cuz I they were just two guys who had a script idea and and got 
$700,000 and probably didn't expect to make like $20 million in their opening weekend mm-hmm. and then immediately have to come up with the idea for a sequel. <laughs> what if the traps were like cooler? Okay, print. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What if the real trap was the movie producers all along? <laughs> uh, yes. I- I- insert the Admiral Akbar quote here. <laughs> Cut. That's where we end. That's where we end. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, everyone, for joining us for our first installment of the uh, Saw retrospective. We'll be back next week with uh, Saw 2 and or a completely different film. Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. <laughs>